Ice to Your Earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Greg Wyshynski. Hey, everybody. It's me, Greg. This is ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN covers hockey. I am coming to you from Sin City itself, the home of the sweet Golden Knights, Las Vegas, Nevada. And I'm not in Las Vegas, Nevada. (laughs) Chicago. Yeah, I don't know how I got the the short straws at where to come and... And cover mm, the Golden Knights. I think I know how you got it, but I'm actually I have a, I have a bone to pick with you. Literally, what's that? what's that? Well, you're in Las Vegas, and you report about all of these amazingly beautiful, uh, sad puppies that were rescued in a U-Haul, Pomeranian puppies, and you bring us these beautiful photos and Mark Andre Fleury holding his puppy namesake, and you don't come home with a puppy. That'd be a 164 Pomeranian dog puppies. Oh my gosh! Just found in the U-Haul. Putting another dagger in my heart. For those who don't know, they had a the, the Golden Knights were involved in, uh, in 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 finding all these dogs' homes. The dogs were found in a U-Haul and immediately became like the the like the top like you turn on the nightly news in in Las Vegas and it's like puppy our, update. <laughs> our top story: tensions grow with North Korea. But first, those <laughs> 164 Pomeranians found in the U-Haul. <laughs> So they became like celebrities, and then the Golden Knights got involved and, and helped them to tr- try to find them all homes. They they did a raffle at practice where people were spending like $200 to get these raffle tickets to try to adopt puppies. Just for the chance to adopt a puppy. Right, it. exactly, because all the puppies had like hockey names. Like one was named Selly, one was oh named like, God. you know, P- Biscuit, uh, and so on and so forth. So it was cool. I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury holding a puppy. What else do you want in life? The thing I want to say with the Golden Knights is this, that I've, I, okay. I find really, really fascinating in being here. And, and, and I, I was yeah. here for Revenge Night, uh, where Gerard Gallant and, and Riley Smith and Jonathan Marsh's show all got their revenge on the Florida Panthers. And the thing occurred to me. What like, a rivalry. I know. Rivalry Night made. Why didn't we have that on a Wednesday? You know what? Just next year and every other year, NBC will take ownership of that. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's better than Boston and Minnesota trying to force that. But Chicago and Philly. Long the history. thing, yeah, the thing, yeah, that was a travesty. The thing I, I discovered is this: like, that was a revenge game, right? And we're all mm-hmm. trying to figure out why the Golden Knights are are good. You know, it, it's sort of inexplicable, but it's almost as if every game is a revenge game, right? Like, yeah. you know, when you pluck players from every team in the league uh, outside of Tampa, where uh, Jason Garrison's no longer with the team, but like, almost everybody on this roster is from somewhere else. And so every night it's like, oh, let's win one for, for Coach and for Riley and for Jonathan against mm-hmm. the Panthers. And then Malcolm Alex Subban. Alex really needs to beat the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, exactly. Right. Gotta, gotta win it for Tucker. Win, yeah. win one for the Tuck man. And then like Malcolm Subban in Boston and, and so on and so forth. And like, Listen, it's a long regular season. There is way too many games. And, and you know, sometimes you need to get up for these games that might not necessarily be like if you're playing, for example, Florida at five o'clock on a Sunday, like you might need to get up for these games. And uh, and, you know, sometimes you fight to get up for the game or do whatever. But like for, for Vegas, it's literally like like you said. We're playing Minnesota tonight. Win one for the Chuck man, and then throw some money on the board, and and then you beat the Wild or whoever. I, I, I feel like in the pantheon of things that are inexplicable about the uh, Vegas Golden Knights, this one might actually be uh, explicable. This might be one where we can say, oh, this is definitely a factor in them being as motivated and as successful as they are, that they're up for every game because somebody in that room needs to get revenge on somebody. I think we also underestimated that what is a, an NF, NHL player who is, you know, a peak competitor and he feels scorned and he has a chip on his shoulder? Like, we underestimated the collective power of that, where you get literally 30 of these guys all together on a team. Like, that's pretty powerful. So, right. yeah, I'm with you. And then on top of that, they're, they're all playing for ice time. You know, they're all, they all, you know, know there's no superstars in the team. So if they excel, they get more time. And then this is something I'm going to write later in the week on ESPN, but it's also a fact that they're all, they're all free agents. Like there's only like four or five guys that are signed beyond this year. They're literally all in a contract year. Right. They're all singing for their supper. Nobody's fat and happy. So it's, it's, it's all these things kind of coming together along with. Uh, the Vegas flu, which we'll also deal with on ESPN.com this week I cannot week wait well. for that reporting. <laughs> I don't know where that reporting took you, but I'd love to see it. Oh, that's just it. I mean, it's been a very sort of Hunter S. Thompson existence yeah, for me here. Yeah, boots on the ground. Maybe yeah. you had to have, you know, just 
a beverage to see what it would be like to have a beverage in Vegas before going right. to the game. Well, it's know. like it's like Jason Patrick in the movie Rush. I mean, to to be a cop on the heroin beat, you must you know of course shoot up, right? So to do the Vegas flu story, I mean, I must stay up until five in the morning and then attempt to you know practice the next day, right? You're gonna come <laughs> home looking fantastic. That's all I know. Your skin will be glowing. All right, let's get to the open ice segment on the podcast this week where we're going to discuss two of the uh, biggest stories uh, since we last did ESPN on ice. Uh, Eugene Melnick, oh, crying geez. poverty uh, at the Ottawa Senators outdoor game, the culmination of a year-long centennial celebration for the National Hockey League. What was the final score of that game? Do you remember? Uh, two nothing. Who knows? Nobody cares because all they <laughs> I think that was wrong is Eugene <laughs> Melnick talking about how the team's broke. And he wants to maybe move it, and he's not going to pay the players as much money anymore until he gets a downtown arena. That's all people are going to remember. Okay, first I have to say, the press coverage of this in Canada has been phenomenal. This is a real (laughs) subhead on a Toronto Star article about uh, Eric Carlson's take on this. Ottawa's captain isn't letting the controversial relocation comments ruin the good news of the Senators' NHL 100 win and the pregnancy announcement with his wife. That was a real thing that was published by a real publication. Uh, anyway, it's, it's amazing. People are freaking out about it, but rightfully so. This is the stupidest thing someone has said unprovoked since Barry Trotz made his comments about Shattenkirk, which, by the way, have since been resolved. He said sorry. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, sorry. But uh, yeah, let, let's get into this. What did yeah. he say and why did he say it? I, I was almost worried, by the way, when I saw that, that pregnancy announcement from Eric Carlson because he, he hit the puck with his stick and then I saw a big puff of blue smoke and I was legit concerned that Eugene Melnick had gotten so cheap oh. that he had replaced the practice pucks with soap <laughs> bars from Lush. And I'm like, oh, God, no. Oh, Lush um, is terribly made products, too. Yeah. That was, that was <laughs> oh, really how dare reference. you? Oh, are you Lush man? Bath bombs for life. This is um, an excitement on your personal hygiene, but let's continue. It's nothing about my personal hygiene. It means I have good hygiene. It means I, I know how to relax with a, a giant soap ball that you drop into a bath, and then there's colors all over the place. Yeah, you um, need that after your Vegas stench. Damn right. <laughs> so Eugene Melnick said that, you know, basically made made a, a relocation threat. You know, said the, 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 the market's unproven, despite the team having been there for, you know, 25 whatever years now and like talking about how the the you know the necessity for a downtown arena talking about how much they spend on players and how he wouldn't want to spend that much on players because we take a pause right there this is a guy that has dealt away some fan favorites just for the sake of doing it daniel alfredson kyle turris maybe eric carlson like (laughs) him talking about loyalty i don't know it falls on deaf ears here well and then also the alfredson thing is is ridiculous because like you know if you if you read enough stuff being said about Melnick and this team, like there's a theory out there that that Danny Alfredson left to go quote unquote be a father because Eugene Melnick screwed him out of some mark like promotional uh, money that was due to him or some marketing money that was due to him. So it's like yeah, cheapness abounds. And the other thing I read too was that Melnick is not spending any money to improve their arena. Because he wants to get a new one, so like right. now it's like they're living in squalor. <laughs> well, not right. that's not that bad, but you know, right. metaphorically. And we have to address. I mean, their arena is not fit. It's far from the city. They don't get great attendance. He even pointed out he was having a hard time selling playoff tickets when they're doing well, and therefore he just blames the fans. Which look, it goes both ways. But it would really help if this team did move downtown. But the way he's going about it and manipulating Ottawans, is that correct? Ottawans, yeah, the fine citizens of Ottawa. Uh, <laughs> That, that's what they should be called. It's not Ottawans. It's the fine <laughs> citizens of Ottawa. Uh, it's just not cool. Let's do a little history lesson here about this arena. Yeah. So the reason it's there, the reason it's in Canada, and it's it's nowhere near the city, is because Bruce Firestone, who was the Senators' owner when they got the expansion franchise, okay, wanted the team to then have a to be the centerpiece of a giant commercial development. In, in in west of the city, so like this they tried where, to build a Jane Stadium. What's it called? They, they wanted to build like a twenty-two thousand seat arena, which then got okay. knocked down to the smaller capacity. They they built it, and so the whole bit was like, we're going to have this hockey team, and it's going to play in this arena, and we're going to have this arena, and then around the arena will be all of this commercial development, and there'll be money Small everywhere. Canada. Yeah, so much money, so much winning. Wow. And uh, just imagine a really ridiculous board game no one wants to play. (laughs) So the problem was is that they picked the location. 
to build the arena. They're going to go with, uh, you know, boots on the ground, shovels in the dirt, everything. And it's a problem with that ground. And and the issue was that, like, they wanted to get rid of, like you said, there was a problem with the ground. They wanted to pave over a bunch of farmland to build it. And everybody there is like, no, no, we don't want that. So they build the arena without the massive commercial development that happens around it. And that's how we got into this pickle is they, they built it in the middle of nowhere because it was going to become somewhere. And then it wound up being nowhere. And then here we are. <laughs> here we are. Exactly. And here's Eugene just monopolizing all of the coverage about the 100 celebrating years of the NHL. Um, so, look. I, I agree with him that something needs to be done, um, you know, to get things going. I think it doesn't sound like it's a, a strong relationship between the city officials and him, but uh, threatening to move just sounds so harsh. It, it is harsh, and but I mean that's what you do to get attention these days, right? I mean it's what Calgary's doing because they, you know, they're crying in their beer over the fact that the city's not bending over like they did in, in Edmonton to give the Oilers an arena. They're like, well, Edmonton got one, why can't we? And then Calgary's like, because you're not in Edmonton, right. and uh, and so they start talking about moving, and now Ottawa's talking, you know, putting out the relocation thing. Um, that's just what you do, and and you do it at a time when obviously Seattle, Houston, and Quebec City are all. You know, cravenly ready for an NHL franchise, um, so they know that there's a little bit of leverage to play that game. It's different when there are no places to move your team, but there's like three really decent places to move your team now. Right. Um, and I was at the NHL Board of Governors meetings, which I've decided Ooh. I have to say in that voice. Um, you know, there was no update on Houston, but that's still a very viable place that I think the NHL is looking to go in the future. Quebec City is kind of in a standstill. They actually technically applied. Their application is on hold, which I think is the most amazing fun fact ever. They're just still <laughs> pending. But by the way, like they don't have to reapply again. You've applied. We, we've heard from you, Quebec. We know you guys want it. Um, <laughs> it's like it's, it's like when you apply for a job that you you obviously didn't get, but you just right. call HR occasionally, and be like, I submitted my resume uh, two weeks ago, and I was it's in the if- pile. It's in the pile. <laughs> So Quebec, that's how you hit in the pile. But anyway, these are two cities with two fan bases that theoretically would welcome an NHL team and two cities where, you know, the city officials would, you know, spearhead construction or, or do the things that city officials need to do to uh, welcome and usher a team in. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Look, I love, I love Ottawa fans, even though they might not love me. I, I want the best for them. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think they're lovely people. But let's just be honest. This team should have never existed. <laughs> like it just shouldn't have. They shouldn't have never put a team in Ottawa. Really and, and I know market. the arg- the argument was always like it was like I think it was like at the time in like ninety one or ninety two the the biggest Canadian market that didn't have a team. I look back at it. Do you know who they beat to get the expansion franchise in Canada? They beat Hamilton, which obviously people remember from the hit musical Hamilton. No, they beat Hamilton. Um, <laughs> Which, that joke which, was one of your best. Thank you. Which was which was obviously in the running to acquire the Nashville Predators at one point when Jim Balsley was going to move them there and and has has also sought a team. But I look back at it and I did I never knew this maybe because I was a wee child. But so Hamilton loses the bid. They already had an arena built, and at the time of the bid, like they thought they might get a team at the time of the bid when the NHL picked Ottawa. I, I look, this is fascinating to me. Um, it's fascinating to me. They received the, the owners looking to get a team for Hamilton received a commitment from Tim Hortons Donuts. Stop. To, fi- to hold on to finance ninety two percent of the team. Now Tim Hortons would have been the majority owner of the NHL team in Hamilton at the time, a five hundred store franchise in Canada. So imagine imagine that like what that Hamilton Hamilton team ends up being. Uh, with the exponential growth of Tim Hortons donuts, like they're, they'd be bigger than the Leafs, I bet, had they won the bid. Well, like, I, I'm sorry, my mind is just wrapped around this that they literally could be a Tim Horton owned NHL franchise. Which I know, would be right? The most Canadian thing ever and just do all this. But yeah, and but Hamilton, how big? That's a suburb of, of Toronto, correct? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Now, um, if, and I, mean, I know we talk so much about how small the market Ottawa is, but that has to be even smaller. Well, it's not it's not a suburb necessarily, but it's right it's right there. And, so it would and be like that, kind of like having the Rangers versus Islanders. And I and I bet it would have been a situation where like at the time this is before Bettman, by the way. At the time, like you know, the Leafs probably hold original six sway and and probably spiked the yeah. Hamilton bid or whatever. But it's or this is like look. the little upstart trendy team that goes to the Barclays Center or something. <laughs> That's right. The hipster team. We'll get to them yeah. in a second. Um, we, uh, it, so I don't know. I, it, 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 Ottawa shouldn't have existed and, and now it's all coming home to roost. The, the building's not where it should be. 
the franchise shouldn't have even existed. But let me ask you, what do you think? What do you think now? Now that we know that Eugene's going to pinch the pennies and, and close the wallet and 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 uh, burn the checkbook, what do you think happens with Eric Carlson? Like, do you think there's a, is is it now? Uh, very, very doubtful that he stays there. And if that's the case, do you think that he plays out the string or do you think they actually would seek to move him? Well, I alluded to the Islanders earlier, and that's such a huge thing with John Tavares, right? He says, I really love this organization. I want to stay, but I want to get some clarity of where it's going to be. And I think the thing with Carlson is they don't want to move him. You have a transcendent generational defenseman. Why move him if you don't have to? Like, that's just silly. But if he's starting to get inklings where, like, I'm not going to stay at all if this is uncertain then you kind of have to because you have to get some kind of return for him before he just walks away as a free agent. So I think if he, you know, all the happiness of the NHL centennial and his his birth announcement, you know, if this starts to somber down and he starts looking at reality and he starts to drop hints that, like, look, I don't want to be any part of this mess, then I do think maybe there could be more impetus to uh, get him out the door. What about you? No one had more fun at the centennial than Eric Carlson dancing, oh. dancing, and, and his like suit. What was that? Like, it was it was amazing. <laughs> I I want to describe it to you listeners who haven't seen it, but I just want to encourage everyone to Google image this. Uh, it kind of looked like The Incredibles. Like I, I don't really know. <laughs> Actually, I think it's the best way. You know, even if you don't look it up, just just imagine Eric Carlson looking like one of the Incredibles, and I yeah, think that, but like that, one of the tall, slender ones. Yeah, exactly. I think it's per- perfect as it is. I don't know. Like, I I come back to the one thing I've always said about Carlson in this situation, which is that ultimately it's where he want, wherever he wants to be, is where where he'll be. And yeah. uh, and you know, as Steven Stamkos and others have taught us, once you hear a player say, "Oh, I, I love it here. This is home. I want to be here," you have you can't take that. I mean, you, I mean, sorry, you, you can take that at face value. You can take that at face, at face value as saying, you know, a, a guy doesn't want to uproot his life and sell his house and, and, and not be in the community where he's been for the majority of his, of the last decade and, and want to make it work there and want to stay there. He wants to be in his comfort zone. I mean, there's something to that with NHL players more than any other athlete. So him having said that gives me pause and gives me hope that maybe things can work out in Ottawa. But at the same time, usually when a player says that, there's not, you know, Scrooge McDuck owning the team and uh, and trying to not spend any dough. So I, I don't know. It, it, it is a, it's a fascinating conflict between a guy who is a generational talent, who I think has a desire to stay there, and an owner that might be the, the worst in – well, I can't say the – I guess I could say the worst in sports now that Jerry Richardson's gone. <laughs> well, Jerry Richardson was the worst. We didn't know it was the worst, but maybe suspected was the worst, and that was all in one swoop of a day's news. Yeah. Um, yeah, but speaking of Scrooge, did we did we talk about, and I don't think we have, his McDonald's analogy, Eugene Melnick's? No, we haven't. He lit, I, I, I was having a really hard time following it, but he essentially compared his situation to owning a McDonald's and said that if he moved his burger chain to a more profitable location, he's giving up on potential profitability just because it was hard. I think that's what he was well, saying. I'm not it, quite sure. Yeah, can you please? See, see Emily, I have owner to me. I have explain to me. I will. I will burger explain to you. I have insight okay. on this. Not only yeah, as a former employee of Burger King, I worked the drive-through in high school. Really, but but also one of my other jobs was in market research, where I actually worked for a company that had a contract with McDonald's, <laughs> and my job was to walk around a McDonald's and ask people where they came from to come to the McDonald's. I don't mean like a, an, an immigration way. Like, where'd you, oh, I came from, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I came Belgium. from the movies. I came, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, did you come from I, Mexico or did you come from soccer practice? Which one yeah, is it? Right, exactly. It wasn't that. But like my job was to figure out how people got to the McDonald's. And, and the purpose of this, I found out, and I, and I kind of felt bad about it afterwards, was uh, if, if enough people were coming from a certain direction, Mm-hmm. They would just close the the McDonald's that I that I was working in, uh, and then open up a new one where the people are. God, because you want to explain ma- so much better than Eugene Melnick can. Right, exactly. So so there is there is logic to it. The idea that if your McDonald's is in a a, a part of town that no one's lives there and nobody wants McDonald's, you move it to where you know people are coming from to buy your McDonald's, and you don't right. sell it because essentially McDonald's franchises are really valuable. Um, is yeah. his thing. So there you go. I burger explained it to you. Wow. I just don't know. I mean, couldn't you even compare it to like a Tim Hortons? Like, play to the audience. <laughs> just saying. Just saying, Eugene. Well, I think McDonald's is a global brand. I mean, it is defense. So is Tim Hortons. No, that's true. I have, it's globally admired. How about that? <laughs>
Speaking of global brands, the second part of our Open Nice segment here on ESPN on Ice is, in fact, between two global brands, a versus, if you will, the NHL versus the NFL. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is not only because Emily has a, a storied history covering the NFL, as anyone who read her on SI knows, but because we've had some things lately in the NFL that make me feel really good as a hockey fan. And don't we all want to feel good as hockey fans? So, That's, yeah, in particular... Video reviews. Let's start there. Um, okay, so we all watched the Patriots game and the Steelers and saw the catch that wasn't a catch because it didn't survive the ground or whatever. And every single game in the NFL is now seemingly decided by a video review. And so I feel good from as from an NHL perspective because to me, like the only thing that really rises to the complete myopic nonsense that is the NFL review system in which we are looking for jiggles and juggles and wiggles and wobbles of the ball and, you know, zooming in to see if the the number of pixels between a guy's knee and a blade of grass or whatever. Like, the only time we ever do that in the NHL is the offside reviews, which most people aren't really in favor of anymore to begin with because, well, maybe because people like to keep goals on the board and because those reviews are getting stupid where you're trying to use a camera to see another guy at the end of the ice and you can't even see where a skate is vis-a-vis the ice. So I, I feel like the NFL right now versus the NHL, the NHL has made the argument for limited replay, and I think the NFL would benefit from that. Hundred percent, and it's funny. Earlier this season, um, when I was making my transition from the great world of the NFL to the even better world of the NHL. Now, what do you have to do when you do that? Because here in Vegas, they have a ceremony when somebody wants to become a Knights fan, <laughs> where they revoke their old jersey and Stop. like pull a sword. No, they really do. I don't know the specifics of it, but somebody told me about it. When you become an NHL writer after being an NFL writer, is there a, is there a ceremony? Yeah, they seize my phone and they take away all the NHL PR guys. I used to have to text and say, "Can you confirm?" Uh, that was step one. <laughs> Uh, step two is they were like, yeah, there's a ceremony. Here are your Sundays back. Enjoy. What are you going to do with them? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to have brunch sometimes. And then and then they make you drink uh, old Zamboni water like it's the blood of Kalima. In the old Zamboni of water. And then there's a reception with Tim Horton's donut holes at the end. It's wonderful. <laughs> you, I recommend it to everyone. My NFL friends, are you listening? Uh, you should you should embark. Uh, but anyways, as after I went through this uh, transition and I stuffed myself with Zamboni water and donut holes from Tim Hortons, what are they called again? The Munchkins? Timbits. Tim Come on now. Timbits. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, it would have been the name of that Hamilton team. They would have called it the Hamilton Timbits and everybody would have gone nuts The mascot opportunity. Think about you, you. We let the Ottawa Senators exist and we gave up a chance to have the Hamilton Timbits with jerseys with sprinkles on them, probably. It would Shame have been incredible. Shame on you, NHL. Shame. Uh Anyway, after all of this happened, I asked NHL players, I'm curious, what do you think is your um, interpretation of the catch versus no catch rule? And I really catered here to guys who are NFL fans. So I asked guys like Patrick Kane and Seth Jones, Tyler Sagan said he was a big fan. And um, they all almost uniformly said offsides. Um, it's prob- And this is a quote from Seth Jones. Offsides has probably been the NFL's catch, no catch rule. They kind of take back a goal or whatever it is. I don't know why you- I said that quote in particular. It wasn't that strong, Seth. Uh, but that's what they said. <laughs> so you're, saying, and, um, you're telling me that, that offside is sort of like our our. It's in the, the most NHLs. objective rule, right? Yeah, of, okay. of how do you do it? And you know the video replays are getting too long. Um, as Patrick Kane said, sometimes we even go into these video replays and and we come out and we don't even know what it is because they didn't have quite the evidence they needed. The only other thing that was brought up, and I, I like this a lot, and it was from Charlie Coyle of the Wild. He said goals off the foot, like a distinct kicking motion, mm-hmm. really hard to decipher. Anyway, the point is, in the NFL, what they've done is, now that we can see every angle, and now that we have this information overload, they believe they need to use it. And when yeah. they were trying to decide the catch versus a no catch, they had to make this definition. I wrote this story a couple years ago when the refs were under fire. Two years ago, they clarified the definition of a catch and no catch to 158 words. And that's because they had to encompass all of these different nuances. So if you're a ref deciding in real time, that's really difficult. So we have to go to the video replay and we have to watch all of these different angles and apply it to the 158 words. Whereas if there's just some drunk fan at a sports bar in Buffalo, he knows right away, catch, no catch. So I think part of the problem there is information overload. And I do feel blessed after, like I said, I went through this great ceremony and I've gone over to the good side. Uh, we don't have to do that anymore. I have to feel like there's several issues of redundancy in drunk fan in a sports bar in Buffalo, but I digress. Yeah, and I'm really sorry for singling you guys out, guys. Um, 
I don't know why that was the first image that came to my mind. I don't know. Like, I, f- I feel like I feel like um, in both the NHL and, and the NFL, when it comes to video reviews on goals, on scoring plays, whatever, mm-hmm. I just wish that the the oh, I wish there was a goal. You remember on uh, on Curb Your Enthusiasm this year, there was a d- discussion about the golden rule and how yes. the golden rule should should take precedence over all other rules, all over all other laws. It's yes. the golden rule, after all. I wish there was a golden rule in uh, in video replay. Where it, it's like the common sense rule that says, you know what? If we pull <sighs> 10 drunk fans in Buffalo, what yeah, would they say? Or, yeah, or, or simply just like, you know, Look it like didn't survive the ground as this <laughs> rule reads, but we, we all know it's a touchdown. You know? yeah, yeah, you know, it's like, it's like we all know that was probably a, a kicking motion, but I, did he mean it? Probably not. You know, it's like, or, or, or you know, anything like that. I just wish there was like a, a common sense golden rule that was the prevailing wisdom for reviews. But the other thing I wanted to bring up with you is about the NHL versus the NFL is in player safety. Now, mm. I feel like in, in the NFL, there's been an uptick in suspensions for headshots this year, uh, like, you know, or at least the, the conversations about it. And, I, and part of it is is definitely what we saw in the NHL many moons ago, which kind of sparked the, the Department of Player Safety, which was the more you see guys being carted off the field because of illegal hits, the more attention will be paid to it and the more suspensions and discipline will come down. Sure. I just think the NFL is really bad at it, like really bad at it. Like, I, I know people hate the player safety thing in the NHL for being inconsistent. I think the NFL is like literally so like, arbitrary. Yeah. A monkey spin, spinning a wheel or somewhere in their office. Like it just makes no sense. It really is. And, it, and now you hear Troy Vincent, who is the head of one of the guys in the, in the league office saying that they're going to consider the targeting role, which they have in college. Whereas if a guy looks like he's going to target, if he looks like he actually targeted a guy, he's going to get kicked out of the game. It's like, that's, I don't know. That's just not going to solve the problem. Uh, I think part of it is discipline. And, and look, I think there's this really careful line where most of these guys aren't headhunters. They're mostly not trying to decapitate their brethren out there. But there are some plays that are just unsafe, and you, and you have to rule them as such. And when you get inconsistent um, penalties, it's just it's just not helping it. And that's what's happening in the NFL. And I do commend the NHL because I think this process is much more streamlined. It, it is, and you make a good point, which is that they're not trying to injure people. They just they hit like they hit. And I think in the in the NHL, to the player's credit, like the player safety thing is, has taken hold and it's worked. These guys simply don't headhunt as much as they used to. The blindside hits are, are done. Um, we don't see stretchers almost at all now in the NHL versus a few years back. There was like, two I feel, seasons I feel, ago in the NFL where I swear to God, three consecutive games I saw a guy carted off the field. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like the I feel like there maybe there is hope for the NFL that there there needs to be. I mean, there can be an education process that that does reeducate guys on how to hit. But you have to have a consistent player safety mechanism in order for that to happen. And you know, the other part of that too is. You, you have to be able to differentiate between the football plays and the plays that should not exist in your game, which I think yeah. the NHL does a really good job of. You know, I think they're really good at in hockey at looking at at certain hits and saying, okay, that's within the, the the scope of the play, the realm of hockey. It's a hockey play gone wrong, and then looking at really intentional things and saying that cannot stand, and then right. giving like a ten game suspension. The NFL allows you look at the Rob, Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, Rob Gronkowski comes off the top rope like he's Randy Savage, and he gets one game for it. And in the in the NHL, that would have been an intentional play, and it, I don't think it would have necessarily mattered if it was Gronk. I think the, the, the guy, you know, the guy gets ten games for it. I mean, in the NFL, in the NFL, that's the equivalent of like maybe three games. But the idea that an, an intentional, an intent to injure play. Uh, in the NFL is, is kind of getting a, a wink and a nod versus what would happen in the NHL to me is like the starkest difference. Yeah. And do you know who I really feel for is the NFLPA because they're so hamstrung in the situation where their goal and their, you know, philosophy of why they existed as an organization is to, you know, help the welfare of these players. And then they also have to go in there and defend Rob Gronkowski and try to, you know, minimize his sentence. It, it's kind of ridiculous. So I think this is going to be really contentious topics when the next CBA opens for them. If you think the <laughs> NHL uh, contention, uh, I don't know. That's another thing that I haven't been able to escape is a contentious uh, league and union. Uh, oh, yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> they're both pretty contentious. I don't know if I want to compare A to B. The only sport where it's not contentious is in the NBA because, like, oh there's God. just so much money. <laughs> there's just like, there's you know so much what? money. Their owners so progr- I mean, their commissioner is so progressive. Right. 
but like at the at the end of the day, they they make so many billions of dollars, and there's so few uh, players versus the rosters that you have in the NFL and the NHL. Just like, all right, we'll work it out. We, yeah. Let's not let's let's not stand on ceremony here. Let's let's just make sure that we can all get our right. billions, right? And hold hands and kumbaya it. All right. After the break, we're going to bring you a Vegas-centric interview this week. This is ESPN on Ice. I love sports. I just wish they could be with me always. They say you don't choose the app. The app chooses you. It is everything I could ever want in a sports companion. It can stream the games and shows that I love, and it's there whenever I need it. I never thought... I could find an app that loves sports as much as I do. Until now. Download the ESPN app to stream ESPN Radio and all the ESPN networks now. All right, we're back. And this week on ESPN on Ice, we are speaking with Vegas Golden Knights defenseman Derek Engeland, uh, former Pittsburgh Penguin, and uh, and a guy that you might remember for really uh, just absolutely bringing tears to the eyes on opening night here in Vegas after that the, the tragic mass shooting uh, on October first. Uh, speaking from the heart, speaking to the assembled fans. Emily and I were both there. That was a, that was a hell of a moment, wasn't it? It was. Well, Derek joined us for this interview and uh the first thing i wanted to know is he is the i think the only guy in the history of las vegas hockey to be both a member of the golden knights and uh the previous pro team that was here the las vegas wranglers we i wanted to kind of know about that uh, it was an eye-opener like it was my first first year pro was here so um you know you get out of juniors you don't know where you're going and you end up in vegas of all all places so it was kind of, uh, I probably thought of it as every other tourist, you know, the strip and everything, and then uh, you get picked up and you don't even go to the strip, you head out to the city, and, um, you know, from that day forward, I've loved it here and uh, made it home now, so. When you were playing here back then, what what was hockey culture like? Were there fans at the games? Yeah. Were you surprised by how many hockey fans were here in the desert? Yeah, the... the I want to say we averaged like 5,500 for the East Coast my first couple of years. Mm-hmm. So that was, for the East Coast, that was phenomenal. Um, the rink was, was great. Um, you know, we had a, we had an older team, uh, first year in the league, and um, that was a lot of fun. The, the fans were great. Um, you know, the more you live here, the more you find out there. You know, there's a lot of people from more northern states that are maybe a, more, more, a little more uh, hockey culture mm-hmm. um, to help. I think build build uh, with the fans that don't know much mm-hmm. about hockey yet. The fan thing fascinates me here because I think you guys are at a place like the Penguins game this past week, uh, the big uh, Murray versus Flurry showdown. I mean, I've been hearing from all these people that it was a playoff atmosphere with all the Penguins fans are in the building, and I feel like that's an interesting dynamic here. Like you play in Pittsburgh, it's a Pittsburgh house most nights. You're not getting the forty percent Capitals fans for a Pittsburgh home game, but here. You know, when the Leafs come to town, when the Penguins come to town, they're going to have that kind of enemy fan dynamic. Do you think that's that's good for the fan base ultimately to have that many visitors in the building? Yeah, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, it, it makes you know they start chanting, and then your fans start chanting, and yeah. it's kind of a a battle there. And it uh, it makes the building more energized, mm-hmm. more it's louder, and and we can definitely feed off of it. What was, what was it like taking part in that game from a, your perspective of being close to Flower and his career in Pittsburgh and stuff? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, how big it was in, in the back of his mind. And, uh, you know, I think every guy on the team um, wanted to get that one for him and um, for for the other guys that, uh, you know, played there and stuff. But uh, for him mostly, um, you know, you know, he, he had a, you know, 12 years there or whatever it was. Um, so that's a long, long, long time of your career in one spot, and you know to get, be able to come out and, and play against you know two-time defending Stanley Cup champs and and get the W for him was uh, it was huge. Seems to be a reoccurring theme, though. You know, as we do this podcast last night, you guys beat the Panthers. Riley and, and Marcia So combined for the empty netter. Turk gets the win over his old team earlier in the season. Malcolm Subban beats the Bruins. And on and on and on. It seems like, like, like there's like a revenge tour going on here for you guys. Yeah, like. for expansion, every guy, you know, we got uh, someone from just about every team on yeah. the team. So, um, you know, it's uh, that, that the first one against that team. You always want to um, do that guy good and uh, go out there and give it your all. But uh, yeah, I think, uh, 
maybe flurries was a, a little more a little more special for him. Probably, probably. Um, we obviously should probably talk about you know one of the most emotional moments, I guess, of this incredible successful season, which was opening night. Can you tell me how your speech came about? Like when you decided to do it? What what inspired you to do it? Um, for Toss and and uh, the the team kind of brought it. You know, thought it might be a good idea for for me to make a speech and. I, I don't really speak in front of a lot of people very often, so I was uh, a little hesitant at first. But um, you know, my wife and I thought it would be a good idea, and they kind of sent over more or less what they wanted. And uh, my wife looked at it, and she's like, "There's no chance you're going to be able to remember all that." So she, <laughs> I guess you could say, dumbed it down a little bit for me <laughs> so I could memorize it. And um, yeah, it was. Uh, a lot of emotions um, to have the people out on the ice, the first responders, some of the victims was was uh, you know uh, a lot of emotion going through everyone, and just to be able to pull off and, and get the response from the crowd was pretty special. What was your reaction after the shooting? I remember reading somewhere that you got immediately involved in some community stuff in the aftermath of the, of the shooting here. Yeah, the next day we uh, we went out. I have some some good friends on the fire department. Uh, we do a charity game every summer with them and. Um, reached out to them and uh, if there was anything we could do and we went and bought a bunch of groceries and food and took them down to the union center for the fire hall and they were gonna they were just opening it up to some of the first responders and families to go down there and and uh, you know talk and and get whatever help they needed and stuff like that so we just went down there brought them some food and um, just kind of talked to some people there and and then the next day, it was with the team going, yeah. going around the city and uh, all the stuff that we. Had. How long you lived here for? Mm, basically, fourteen years. Couple yeah. couple summers we didn't spend here, but right. uh, for the most part. Where's the city now, as far as its reaction, its, it's aftermath of the shooting? Like uh, you, everywhere you go here, you still see Vegas strong stuff. Uh, I mean, as a as a guy who's from Jersey who lives in New York, I mean, we obviously shorthand it to nine eleven. Here it's like October one, I, I guess, or one October yeah. is I guess what they call it for shorthand. I mean, it's it seems like it's still very much on the minds of people here. Heck, I, I mean, for, for me, walking around the city this week, they're putting up steel beams on all the sidewalks now. I guess just in case someone tries to drive a car up there. Now. Really? So it's like it's yeah, still going. It's uh, you, you still see it everywhere. You, um, you you talk to people around the city, and they're still obviously affected by it, and and. Uh, but they're more grateful for what we're doing, winning and making them proud and giving them a opportunity to come to games and maybe get their mind off of it yeah. for a few hours. And, you know, that's uh, the least that we could do as a, as a team and a group here is, uh, is help them uh, forget and, and get past uh, all, the, all the stuff that has happened. Everybody's got theories about your success here, and one of them was from no less an authority than Gary Bettman who uh, said at an event I attended last month that he, his opinion on your success here is that that tragedy bonded you with the city in a way that no one could ever anticipate, no one could ever just, you know, encapsulate, and that once that moment happens, you every game you play, you're probably thinking you're playing for the, for those people. Definitely. Um, I think it, it definitely, for the start of the season, for sure, um, you know, even the first two road games, uh, every guy on the on the team wanted to do it for Vegas and, and the people that were affected by it and um, you know you get those two games out of the way then you come home and another emotional home game and um, you know I think it uh, it just got us going and playing the right way um, playing for each other and for the city and um, we've just kept it rolling since then I've seen on, on, that you've been on the record as a Vegas flu denier <laughs> you don't think the, the Vegas flu might necessarily be a thing that's affecting the road teams coming here true or false I, I think you can, if you're going to do anything, you can do it in any city here. You, yeah. you, you go to New York, you go to Nashville, you, you know, Florida, anything. You're, you, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it no matter where you are. And, um, you know, I think uh, everyone, everyone uh, in professional sports you know, knows, knows the time and place to do it for the most part. And, um you know, I think uh, go to credit. Uh, it's it's a fun building to play in, and oh, yeah. I think the guys the guys just come out uh, flying. Um, love playing here and uh, in front of the fans, and it's a it's a good atmosphere. It's the right amount of Vegas kitsch. I, I actually am a fan of the pulling the sword from the stone bit they do before the game. I think it's kind of goofy fun. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I, I've <laughs> kind of seen 
pictures on uh, yeah. or, or parts of it on uh, you know the replays and stuff like yeah. that. But it's uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. It's a shout out to the Excalibur, which is one of my favorite cheesy casinos here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually took my son to that uh, this the, summer. The, so, t- you know, the, the, the tournament show, yeah, the jousting he, he and stuff. He stood the whole time and was just uh, <laughs> intrigued by it. It's my favorite thing about Vegas is that you can find your own level of fun. Like yeah. there's no pressure to always go to the Bellagio or wherever. Yeah. Like if you've got a family here, you can take them to the Excalibur, Circus Circus, and places like that. Yeah, it's one of the things I love most about the city. Yeah, it's there's there's something for everyone. Yeah, um, you know, the gambling or going out or anything. There's mm-hmm. shows. There's all the best restaurants in the world are are here. So you you have everything, and then you go outside the strip, and mm-hmm. people are amazed with what, what's out there. One of my pet theories about you guys and your success is this. I mean, the level of competition that must exist on this roster. Like, it became kind of a, a running joke almost amongst hockey fans how many defensemen were here. Like, you guys are like a billion defensemen after the expansion draft, and, and yet they're all sort of still here. Um, how much is sort of the internal uh, competition? Like like Gallant mentioned the other day, you guys don't have any stars, you know, yet. Uh, it's not as if there's a guy that you know has earned 23 minutes a night based on reputation. How much is the internal competition of rice time driven during the play this year? I think it's been huge. Um, you know, you look at all the guys that come in and obviously you got some some guys that played the roles that they're playing in now but you come in, it's a clean slate for every single guy and there's a lot of guys that were on other teams play playing lower down than they are now and yeah. they've seen the opportunity and I think guys have, have embraced the opportunity and, mm-hmm. and pushed forward with it and kind of ran with it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, Carl Carlson seems like the ultimate example of that at the forward spot, like a guy who might have been buried in that, on that Blue Jackets team and he comes here and now I mean, you watch, he's like Brett Hall now. He's like he's got he's got a spot on the ice for his, yeah. his shot. It's crazy. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a great example of that. Yeah. Um, you know, he's playing further down the lineup in, in Columbus and comes here and uh, plays well and he, he moves up the lineup and he's uh, you know I don't see him moving from there anytime soon. I, I want to bother your, your GM about this at some point, but I also have a theory that like you know just what maybe like a half dozen guys that are signed for next season here. Like you look at the salary cap, you know, cap friendly list. It's all UFAs. It's all RFAs next year. It's a lot of guys playing for contracts either here or someplace else, and that's a dynamic that you don't see in the league. There's a lot of fat and happy people in this league as far as contracts go. So, how much do you think the UFA thing plays into that too? Well, you, you always want to, always want to have a, a obviously a good year when you're you're up for a contract, and you know, there's a like you said, a lot of guys playing for for next year and and further down the road, and. Um, you know that just ups the intensity for everyone. Um, you know everyone's playing for. No one wants to leave. Everyone wants yeah. to stay in one spot, and um, you know just uh, ups that intensity for everyone a little bit. Mm-hmm. How much? I was going to say too. Like, how much of this is to keep the team together? I mean, you guys know if you're successful, come if you're in first place in the Pacific, come trade deadline. It's a pretty good chance you guys are going to be kept together more than anyone thought you would be. How much of that dynamic is at play here too? That you play for the guys in the room because you want the guys in the room to stay. Yeah, we, we got an extremely good group of guys, uh, a lot of character in the room, and and uh, you know I think you go talk to anyone, and, and every single guy wants to wants to stay here. They they love the city, they love the, the facilities, everything, and um, you know everyone everyone wants to keep the team together you know we got a great group like i said and and if uh you know we got to keep plugging away and, mm-hmm. and hopefully it stays that way um two more how much did you have to play ambassador here like when guys came here they must have bugged the hell out of you to figure out where to live what to do <laughs> what do i do you're the you're the unofficial mayor of las vegas and he has a lot of guys here yeah there's uh a few guys reach out in the summer you, you know just wondering what spots are are good to live or if South Summerlin's different than North Summerlin or anything Is it? like that. <laughs> uh, five minutes further away, thing, but nothing major. But this, which one has the Trader Joe's, North or South? Trader Joe's. It's, it's right, right here, here, yeah. Off Sahara. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of right in the same area. So okay. it's um, I, living here. You, it's no matter where you live, everything's. It seems like everything's a few miles away, and you have everything right here. Right so it's it wasn't too hard. Everyone uh, kind of wanted to live around this area, just close to the practice rink and stuff like that. But yeah. um, I would say more more wives and girlfriends reached out to my wife than <laughs> than to me. So they they they're a little more uh, plan things out than the yeah. guys. The guys kind of just wing it, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was all right. And I guess last question I always like to ask guys: This when you're on the road, 
or when you hit the road. What do you? What's the last thing you watch? Do you binge things in the road? Do you a movie guy on the road? Yeah, I, uh, this year Netflix. I've been uh, crushing out a lot of Netflix on the plane and stuff. Uh, what's your crush of choice lately? Uh, I've watched all the Blacklist, the first couple road trips, all the seasons except for season five, which mm-hmm. just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot, a lot of then, James Spader in that. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, good he's villain. Really good. Um, and then uh, what am I watching now? Narcos right now. So oh damn! It's, it's, it's got a lot of reading, uh, the subtitles, and stuff. <laughs> yeah. but it's good. It's entertaining. If you're if you're on a plane, you got nothing to do but yeah, watch and read. Exactly. There that, you go. That or play cards. There so. you go. And you can tell everybody that you read on the plane now when you're watching yeah, subtitles exactly. and Narcos. I, I read and watch it at the same <laughs> time. Our thanks to Derek Engeland and the Vegas Golden Knights for uh, setting that up uh, here in Vegas. Um, you know that was uh he's an interesting dude and and again like one of these guys that uh has preached the the gospel of Las Vegas hockey for many many years uh and lo and behold the team comes here and all these people look like geniuses now they said it was going to work and and so far I I got to tell I guess you know when you were you pulling thousands of people to a practice on the Saturday before Christmas weekend uh as they do here in Vegas it is uh it's working it's totally working and my favorite thing about Derek England is when all of the other guys started coming out there. He was like their de facto real estate agent yeah. and social director, like telling everyone where to go. It was pretty cool. And after the tragedy that happened there, he really took a leadership role with the relationships that he had with guys in fire um, houses and, and policemen and was delivering groceries to them. So that was another thing that was pretty neat about Derek. Indeed, indeed. Uh, time for a weekly segment here on ESPN on Ice. It is Phil Kessel Eats Hot Dogs, uh, yes. in which we discuss one of the, the, the biggest media-driven narrative of the week, uh, in honor, of course, of the media-driven narrative that said that Phil Kessel ate hot dogs every single day of his life in Toronto. That turned out not to be true. Uh, this week, it is dealing with <laughs> another uh, superstar on a Canadian team, as Phil Kessel once was, Connor McDavid, and dealing with... <laughs> One of the single greatest graphics that I think I've seen this year on Connor McDavid, his his recent illnesses. <laughs> yeah, so this was pulled up by Sportsnet in the game. And as our other esteemed colleague, Chris Peters, pointed out on Twitter, if he was on the Oregon Trail, I don't know how far he would have made it. Um, he was a <laughs> hockey player. I think we'd call this Tuesday. Uh, he's had strep throat, nausea, uh, flu. What, was it vomiting? There was uh, v- nausea, vomiting, headache, sore throat, oh, the- fever, oh, sore throat. tonsil uh-huh. infection, and of course Ooh. strep throat, which means that which means that you know if you're looking for reasons why he was off his game earlier this year, it's probably because he had to have that tongue depressor on his on his throat, which always gave me the willies when I went to the. Oh my gosh! Well, doctor. look, I'm like. I, I know it's a hard job out there uh, for these TV producers to come up with graphics. I've seen some really silly ones lately. For example, during the outdoor game, I could not get over this one. I've memorized it in my head. They had a graphic on top that said, 11 out of 12, 22 outdoor game losers have reached the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> like, I literally stared at it for a good 90 seconds. I paused my TV and I said, what does this mean? Half um, of the teams that lost in outdoor, outdoor games game have, made, have the made the playoffs. Never it's mind a, that it's arbitrary who even plays in the outdoor games. Yeah, I was going to say, it's almost as if the NHL doesn't pick horrible teams to be in their outdoor games, <laughs> with the exception of the Buffalo Sabres, right. of course. And um, if we look at those stats, it's one out of two. Um, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> what a trend. <laughs> but back to Connor. Uh, yeah, this is amazing. It circulated on Twitter. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, do you buy it? Is this is the reason why the uh, poor Edmonton Oilers have just not gotten going this year? I, I think there's something to be said for Connor not being himself. I mean, you know, he, as, as the Edmonton media noted, he was turning the puck over. And I mean, as he's gotten healthier, I suppose he's gotten more dominant. But I want to I want to point out one thing that that a lot of people who were kind of ridiculing this graphic mentioned, and I completely agree. Show me show me the illness that gets you nausea and vomiting but doesn't get you diarrhea. Like, I feel like they are purposefully, and again, this is, again, the Canadian media, what they do, they're covering for Connor McDavid. There had to have been diarrhea involved in this. There's simply no way you can have nausea and vomiting without having diarrhea. Yeah. Um, I literally feel like they just went into some, like, WebMD and were just like, let's just copy, like, five of the seven <laughs> symptoms of any illness and let's just say it's this. You know, My other favorite thing about it is Connor probably hated this so much. Like, any NHL player hates when you call attention to themselves and they hate when it seems like they're coming up with excuses. So uh, yeah. I can just see Connor seething under his 
helmet and seething in the sense that he probably had to go run to the bathroom right afterwards. On, on top of that, like how many of his buddies are taking a picture of that screen cap and it's Connor McDavid kind of looking wistfully off to the uh, to the side and next to him it's just like all of the things that he's had, this diseased leper of a man this season. Uh, it was a pretty great graphic. So there you go. That was Phil Kessley's hot dogs for this week, uh, the Connor McDavid illness chart. Uh, now it's time for Puck Headlines, in which we take you around the NHL with all the news and views that you need to know. Uh, the first one, I think, is probably the, the biggest news that dropped right before we did the show uh, uh, this week. The New York Islanders winning their bid uh, to... Yeah, I know. Yay, indeed, to uh, build a new arena. Because, as you know, Emily, if there's one thing the New York metropolitan area needs, it's a new arena. Um, it's not a new arena, but it's to get a hockey team the hell out of the Barclays Center. All right, that is true. We can I mean, agree on that. Silver lining. Uh, they, they're going to build at at, uh, at Belmont. It's going to be 18,000 plus for hockey. Uh, there's going to be commercial development, hopefully more so than they had in Edmonton, hearkening back to the beginning of the show. And uh, along with a hotel, along with a community center, uh, yada, yada, yada. Obviously, right next to Belmont Park Racetrack, which is still a very thriving uh, business there uh, on the, in Nassau County. So not only do they get out of Barclays, uh, they get to come back to Nassau County. And and, and, and as you mentioned where earlier... Where 98% of their fans are. Exactly, where 98% of their fans are. Now now the fans can, can tailgate again, which uh, don't underestimate the, the culture shock of going to Barclays, walking out of the subway and realizing there's no place to set up your grill. You're going to probably have to go to Shake Shack before the game. Um, or at McDonald's. They're moving the McDonald's. They're moving the franchise. They're moving <laughs> to the, the McDonald's, To man. where the people are. They're to where, the, where the, people the people are. Sorry, this is this, it's like when you really hit on something in college and then like a college class and you're sitting there and all of a sudden you realize you can apply to everything. Right, That exactly. is the education of Emily on this podcast. There you <laughs> the education of Emily, the new film. By, um, so the, by Greta Gerwig. The, the, uh, I'll take care of yeah. Oh, do you, would Greta Gerwig be your, your director, facto director, because of Lady Bird now to do your oh, life? Oh, yeah. Well, I was always a Noah Bumbach fan, but she crushed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her partner in crime. Um, I'd have to probably go with a comedy director of some sort. Maybe, maybe for you or me? For me. She's comedy. She's a little mumblecore. Yeah, but for me, it would be like, you know, whoever, whoever did the early uh, 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 Jim Carrey movies where mm-hmm. it's all just Pratt Falls and talking with his butt and stuff would probably be my life story. Sounds fitting. Mm, Back yeah. to the Islanders. <laughs> Speaking of talking with your butt, uh, the Islanders <laughs> are are going to be in this new place in a couple of years, which means probably a few more years at Barclays. But as you mentioned before, the big news, you know, uh, beyond the fact that the franchise is, is probably, you know, not going to relocate, is that uh, we now have the ironclad proof of an arena that uh, Johnny Tavares may have needed to uh, remain a New York Islander for the next uh, eight years. Yeah, well, the problem was the NHL was totally hamstrung. They wanted to get this done, but they were waiting for the city officials to see if this could happen. Now that it's happened, you have to imagine the situation where this news comes out and 20 seconds later, their ownership group is on the phone with John Tavares. Is like, all right, you ready to sign that extension now? Like, you ready for it? Um, they pretty <laughs> – no, seriously. I feel like they've been keeping him in the loop, and now that this has happened um, – they feel like they have nothing to lose with him. And if he leaves them, it'll be a total heartbreak. It'll be total betrayal. Um, it meant that he never loved them to begin with. Um, it's, I'm just speaking my truth, man. I think that's the way it is. So yep. um, and, and I would th- expect this to make him a favor to stay now. And not to Sarah McLaughlin this thing, but I will remember you, Barclays Center. For the white Tell SUV. Tell me how bad those sight lines were. The white SUV that was parked on the side of the rink because they didn't actually fill the seats all around the, the arena because it oh. wasn't built for hockey. Oh. I'll miss you off-center Jumbotron because the uh, concrete uh, poured for the rink uh, or for the, for the uh, basketball floor was uh, meant for basketball, not for hockey. So every hockey game was played under a Jumbotron that was off-center. And I will, of course, miss you most of all. I'll remember you obstructed seats. Seats that existed that when you sat in the seats in the end zone of the arena, you could not see one of the three zones. Well, why didn't you see it anyway? Weep not for the memories. I think we have to end this segment now. Uh, Puck headline number two, USA Hockey (laughs) will reveal 
their rosters for the men's and women's Olympic teams uh, and uh, also sled, uh, sled hockey uh, during the Winter Classic, during the second intermission of the NHL Winter Classic on NBC, 1 p.m. New Year's Day. This took a lot of people by surprise, the fact that the NHL was doing business with USA Hockey to announce the Olympic teams, being that the NHL is going to summarily ignore the Olympics while they're going on. Uh, it took us by surprise. We were on a conference call earlier uh, today while we were filming this, and neither you or I believed it. We were kind of incredulous. <laughs> like, that had to be a type. Like, you saw that wrong, right, our editor Amy? Like, there's no way that's actually happening. The NHL is doing everything in its power to pretend these Olympics are not happening. I've been told it on NHL.com. They even have a coverage plan where they're probably not going to mention the Olympics at all unless possibly a prospect scores and maybe they'll do a small write-up. So for them to kind of get in cahoots and, and do this big event at their biggest event of the year, uh, which is the Winter Classic between the esteemed rivals, the New York Rangers and the Buffalo Sabres, mm-hmm. we'll get into that at a later date, <laughs> um, seems really significant to me. And, and it seems like someone is just biting their lip and just saying, whatever, just let it be. Like, let's just do it. My first thought was that it was an NBC thing where NBC's like, look, mm. come, come on now. Like, we're giving you billions. This is our event. This yeah. is our event. Like, let us do this. But I We've talked been to your some- partners for so long. Yeah. I talked to somebody in the NHL, and they, they kind of wised me up to why this is happening, which is um, their beef's not with USA Hockey. Like their beefs with the IOC, it's it's with um, it's with the Olympics. It's 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 not with USA Hockey. So I think that they they you know want to play nice with USA Hockey, want to do them a solid. Would be fine putting over USA Hockey, the men and the women, uh, and that program and continuing that relationship. Uh, they just aren't going to cover the team when it goes and plays under the IOC banner. So that that's sort of the thinking there is is there's a a, a point of demarcation between boycotting the Olympics. And uh, and still supporting USA Hockey and its growth. So I, th- I think that's what what that's, what they're 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 doing there. That's a great point because I was in Traverse City, Michigan, uh, when they announced the U.S. Olympic coach. Uh, this was back in September, and one of the biggest themes that I got was USA Hockey said, "Look, we." And this was like when people were still kind of in denial mode that the NHL really wasn't going to send their players, and we were asking to guys like Tony Granato, who's the coach, and Jim. Uh, Johansson, who's uh, the president of USA Hockey, or uh, Jim Smith. Gosh, I'm so sorry, Jims. Anyway, we were asking them, we're like, what would you do if, you know, an NHL player said they're just going to come play for you? What would you do? And they said, we're deferring to our relationship with the NHL. The NHL says that we're not sending them, and therefore we're maintaining that relationship. So USA Hockey has been a really good partner to the NHL in this sense. So that makes total sense for me of why the NHL is saying, hey, we'll throw you a bone right back. Exactly. Uh, Puck headline. This is a, an either-or question from your Emily. Hmm. So as we do this podcast, uh, Alex Ovechkin and Nikita Kucherov are tied at 23 goals apiece. Mm-hmm. Alex Ovechkin's played 34 games. Nikita Kucherov has played 32 games. At the end of the year, who has more goals, Kucherov or Ovechkin? I say Kucherov. What about you? Well, why Kucherov? Okay, well, I say Kucherov just because I think that his team is a stronger offensive team. Um, I think that he plays on a better line than Alex Ovechkin says. And while Alex Ovechkin is defying all, uh, you know, common sense with age and what he's doing out there, uh, Kucherov's just a better player right now. And, you know, when he's playing out there with Steven Stamkos feeding him pucks, uh, they're going to go in and, and the Lightning have a far better chance to go further uh, in this thing and, you know, dominate teams down the stretch than I think the Capitals do. I think if you took the, the a poll of all the NHL players, as you did, the, the, your, your piece this week was great, by the way, about the most underrated player, which is uh, by far Sasha Barkov of the uh, Florida oh, Panthers. Amazing. And I you, love the responses by it, too. Yeah. When a guy's like, dude, I saw this video on Twitter of his shootout moods. It was sick. Yeah, he's yeah. he's he's incredible. And like that. Yeah, and and he's clearly the new Louis Erickson. But if you if you took the pulse of all those players that you talked to and said who's the who's the better player, Kucherov or Ovechkin, I, I bet you're right. I bet like Kucherov would probably be put over by his peers right now as being the more complete player. But well, I'm here's gonna, the thing. Oh, you go, go on. And no, I was just going to add this fun tidbit that I learned today. Kucherov also has 23 assists, which puts him in the point leaders with 46 points. Alex Ovechkin only has 14 assists. As we say this, do you know there's such a thing that people call the Cy Young Award for the NHL? No, what is that? I don't know if people do it or just the Wall Street Journal did it because they wrote a whole article about it today of how Michael Grabner is leading the Cy Young in the NHL. And that's for guys whose goal to assist ratio would look really good for a starting pitcher. Oh. (laughs) So Michael Grabner has 14 goals and three assists, a.k.a. he does not know how to pass the puck, so he's leading the Cy Young race. 
Yeah. So um, Alex Ovechkin kind of a Cy Young kind of guy, and Nikita Kucherov is more of a complete player. Reminds me when I used to play like NHL 94, 95 uh, for Super Nintendo, and there'd be a glitch, and like Steve Ruchin, if you play, if you did like play until a day on yeah. the season thing, like Steve Ruchin would have a hundred goals and zero assists. That's amazing. Uh, and then you'd have to drop him because he was going to mess up all the awards voting. But that, I mean, that is your Cy Young Award winner in perpetuity. Yeah. Um, I say Ovechkin, and and only because. Um, I think the Capitals' power play, uh, you know, will will we'll keep them fat and happy uh, on a pretty consistent basis. And uh, if there's one thing that I've learned about Alex Ovechkin through the years, it's that uh, never underestimate his desire to win something in the regular season. <laughs> so I'm going to go with him for the restart. Mic drop. Mic drop. <laughs> uh, finally, on the puck headlines this week, uh, NHL Network, in their infinite wisdom... Names the best captains of all time. They're just pandering for hot takes. I'm so sorry, but how do you even quantify this? How do you quantify leadership and grit and galvanizing a team plus on ice of performance? I don't know. I just think these are there's certain things that just don't deserve the listicle treatment. Well, according to this, from what I can gather, the way that they put the list together was uh, who's famous for having guaranteed a win to uh, stop a 54-year Stanley Cup drought? Which is oh, why Mark Messier is number one. That? Yeah, yeah and uh, and uh, apparently the other one is like who's played in the most outdoor games, which to <laughs> me is the only thing I can think of for Jonathan Taves to be number. Jonathan Taves oh, is number seven on this list of the top uh, uh, captains of all time, ahead of Sidney Crosby, Mary Lemieux, and Nicholas Lidstrom. Pretty amazing. The problem with Jonathan Taves is this: it's he's a great captain. He's captain serious, right? But early on with those Blackhawks teams. There's a lot of other leadership voices in that room. I mean, Patrick Kane is a polarizing player to the media and fans, but inside that room, he's really respected for the way he leads, especially on ice. You know, he cares more than anybody else, arguably. Uh, you know, they had so many, Dustin Bufflin, they had uh, Chris Burstyke. I can go on and on. So to say that he is the but, one that singularly led this team out of it, the darkness. And you bring up another, you bring up a really good point because people forget, I think it was in the playoffs where they, where they ended up beating Boston, but like, there was a moment where like Brent Seabrook had to take Taves aside and give him like a, a heart to heart about how frustrated he was getting him, yeah. you know, without scoring and stuff. Look, I'm not trying to demean like Taves is without question one of the best leaders in the game, one of the better captains of all time. I think his his uh, you know scoring acumen is uh, vastly uh, overrated, and and I don't think he's one of the top 100 players of all time. There's no reason to relitigate that now. Um, but the idea that he's ahead of Sidney Crosby on this list is the trolliest troll that ever trolled. It, it is like a Ryan Johnson, the Last Jedi level of trolling that the NHL has, <laughs> network has put out here. There is absolutely no metric, no way at all that you could possibly measure or tell me or quantify or qualify that Jonathan Taves deserves to be higher in a captain's list than Sidney Crosby. Sidney Crosby, who not only leads as a captain in the room, but Sidney Crosby, who leads by example, palpably leads by example in leading the Penguins to, to consecutive cups. There is absolutely no way you could make the argument that Taves is ahead of him on this list. I am anti-intangible listicle, so I'm putting it on the record now. All right. Well, there's a problem because I really like writing them. <laughs> well, this is the biggest. This is why we're yin and yang. We're peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> That's right. Actually, peanut butter and jelly grow great together. Yeah, we're peanut butter and vinegar. We are peanut butter and jelly. Oh, oh, oh I thought you were trying. Oh, no, no. I mean, yeah. like in your example, we're peanut butter and vinegar. But in yeah, life, well, we're yeah, well, and we're on opposite shelves and maybe in different departments in the grocery store. But you put mm -hmm. it together for something that's universally beloved. That's right, like mm -hmm. a sandwich. Yeah. Um, so that's ESPN on Ice for this week, but you have a big announcement for the listeners that I, I'm very excited about. Guys, this is awesome, and I have to give credit to our producer, Gabe, who came up with the idea, but we wanted to add a fan element to this show, right? You guys are all hockey fans. You love hockey. You love your teams, and sometimes you just feel like you need a rant. You feel like you need to get something off your chest. So we want to give you that forum where you can do that. So a new segment we'll be adding is the voicemail where you can call in and give your 30-second rant about what's irking you in the hockey world, and we will air the best ones each week. So I have an announcement of how you can get in on the action. You can call our number, 8675309. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wanted to make that joke the entire read. Uh, it's 860-516-516. 1029. Again, it's 
516-1029. And uh, call us up and tell us what's on your mind, and we will air the best ones each week. Yeah, and and what it's going to be is is sort of the uh, the the the, the little kiss off segment at the end of the podcast. You know, we want we wanted to have a way to kind of punctuate the thing. So when we're done talking, we're going to turn the mic over to you guys and uh, and air some of these rants to end the show, uh, which I think is the perfect way to to send it off. So so I'm putting on my first open call to Islanders fans. You can give us your sound off on. Uh, how much you hated the Barclays Center, or Ottawa fans, and how much you are uh, angry at your owner, Eugene Melnick of McDonald's uh, comparison fame. <laughs> I awesome. loved it. All right. Yeah. Well, that's ESPN on Ice for this week. Uh, we'll talk to you uh, next time. Thanks to uh, Gabe for producing. Thanks to everybody for listening. Again, if you dig the podcast, subscribe to it and like it and give us favorable reviews on the iTunes. And if you're somebody who liked the old podcast that was on this feed and you're listening to us now, thanks for doing it. We're a different kind of deal, but I think you'll enjoy what we're doing with it. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week for a big year in review show. I'm Greg Wyshynski. I'm Emily Kaplan. Bye. This has been ESPN on Ice with Greg Wyshynski. Download and subscribe to the show in the ESPN app and in Apple Podcasts.